You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 23. Today we have a special guest, Rasheen Golding, where we are discussing the Yellow Emperor. Is he a Time Lord? Hey everybody, I'm Fee Gitchum. And I'm Claire Pyers. Today our guest is Rasheen Golding. Hi Rasheen. Hello Claire and Fee. It's great to have you with us. Well, it's great to be here. I was really um, pleased that you asked me to come along and chat with you this morning. So, thank you. Wonderful. It's going to be a great conversation, I feel. And Rasheen has been practicing acupuncture in London for the past 30 years. You can find her clinic at www.acupuncturework.co.uk. She has written a book called The Complete Stems and Branches, Time and Space in Classical Acupuncture. And you can find this book at www.moondancepublishers.org. Rasheen has also published numerous articles on the role of time in acupuncture. She has taught postgraduate courses on classical acupuncture and she is a consultant on an international team of experts on acupuncture for the World Health Organization. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes and we hope you enjoy today's show. So thanks for joining us today, Rasheen. It's great to have you with us on the show. And well, thank you very much for asking me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Both Fee and I were very um, excited to receive the email from you when you were suggesting the topic of today's show. Um, and the topic you suggested is, the Yellow Emperor, is he a Time Lord? And both of us are, um, are Doctor Who fans and um, we like that you made that reference. Can you tell us a little bit about where your idea of the relationship between the Yellow Emperor and Doctor Who comes from? Actually, you know, I didn't really think of Doctor Who, first of all, at all. It was only when I used it as a title of an article um, for a magazine in the European Journal of Oriental Medicine, was uh, the Yellow Emperor. Uh, medical sage or time lord and then after I'd written it I thought oh that sounds like Doctor Who (laughs) (laughs) hopefully that will attract a few people who might not not otherwise be interested but actually because because um, the the yellow emperor is referred to as a time lord he's certainly a celestial lord even though most people think of him and he is the lord of the earth but it's more complex than that. Do you want to ask or shall I just go on and explain a little more? Yeah, you just let, please tell okay. us. Okay. Okay. So even um, when you read, you know, when I started writing about stems and branches, I had a very, you know, basic knowledge of it from my training at ICORM in England. And I thought I would write this very basic introductory book and I didn't really think that I was going to have to look into cosmology or astronomy as much as I did. But it turned out there were, that there were so many differences of opinion 
on very basic things like when the year began and you know when the branches began what were the exact timings of them that I find the only way to really understand that thoroughly was to understand astronomy and look at some of the very very early texts on astronomy around the Han Dynasty and um, and it was through that that I realized the the, the real importance of the Yellow Emperor Huang Di. When Unsold talks about um, Huang Di in his book, um, looking at the origins of the Su Wen, he notes that uh, the Di in Huang Di is really not just Lord, but it's a heavenly Lord. But he didn't like to emphasize that partly because of the religious connotations and then also partly. Um, uh, because Huang Di, within the Neijing, the Yellow Emperor within the Neijing, is a student and he's asking Qi Po endless questions about how acupuncture works and what to do in different circumstances. So he's very much an earthbound uh, person in the Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine. But when you read into it and look more into the astronomy, Huang Di, or the Yellow Emperor, during the Han Dynasty, in fact, before the Han Dynasty, was a celestial lord. He was he was the Earth Lord. There were three main lords. In, in, uh, uh, there was the Heavenly Lord, the Earth Lord, and the uh, uh, Human Lord, who all then had residences in the heavens, that is, in the, in the skies. And... Um, and it's very odd, really, that the Yellow Emperor is written throughout the uh, Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine, the Wang Di Neijing, because really it is Randi, the Emperor of Humanity, during the Han Dynasty, who was who presided over health and human sufferings, diseases, and epidemics. And so it's peculiar. Why then did they not have Randi? written on the cover of this medical book. Randy was the person in charge of the celestial being in charge that, um, that governed, as I say, diseases and human health and suffering. And yet they insisted on using uh, the Yellow Emperor. Well, it turns out that the Yellow Emperor had a very, very important role and um, it, within the heavens. So although he was the earth god, he was also very strongly linked with the sun and the movement of the sun. And in fact, Sima Chan uh, refers to uh, Huang Di as um, he said, he is the god who occupies the key position in the heavens. Um, it gets a bit, well... I don't know if I'm saying too much about this, but um, but Huang Di, for example, um, was the person who rode on the the um, the chariot in the heavens, and his role was to divide yin and yang, to regulate the four seasons, to maintain equilibrium between the five elements, and to check, take charge of the twenty four solar periods and the calendar. So he was crucially involved in maintaining this balance between, as I say, the yin and yang um, and between the, the five elements as well as the calendar. And really, this is what acupuncture is based on. It's this connection between heaven, earth, man, which is the, the main cornerstone of acupuncture. This is where every idea of yin and yang and the five elements come from. 
And, and I think that's um, I think that's really interesting too. I mean, when we think about the um, the the Neijing, that's really two two parts to the book: the Su Wen and the Ling Shu. And really, the Ling Shu contains so much more of the um, of the cosmology aspects. The Su Wen's more of like a here's the stuff that you need to know in order to understand the next part of the book. Um, and so I guess in that, you know, with what you were saying, with the role that Huang Di was was said to play in terms of, you know, overseeing the the movements in the sky, that makes it makes a lot of sense why they had Huang Di instead of Rendi. Yes, yes, and uh, and also people do focus on the spiritual axis, the Ling Shui being the more cosmological. Certainly, it has you know, the King Wen diagram in there with the nine palaces and the movement of, that's where you get this movement of um, um, uh, Randy, uh, Taisu, um, throughout the nine palaces, and that's kind of connected up with forbidden points and other areas that are forbidden in the, in the body. But actually, even from the very opening of the Su Wen, it really introduces the Yellow Emperor as... The Muslim, you know, that he attained heaven. Really, I think in the opening paragraphs of the uh, of the Suwen. Shall I just go and have a look at that, or maybe not? But anyway, it's very early on in the Suwen. I think the opening chapter. We'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes so that okay. the listeners can can reference that. Yeah, and I because I use um, Henry Lou's translation also, which I think is a very excellent translation. There are a lot of smaller translations which don't get all the nuances and don't they're not complex enough really, um, in explaining uh, you know all the concepts that are important to understand. But also throughout the Su Wen, I think it's even in the Su Wen where you have this. Um, description of how to establish um, the beginning of the year um, using a, a gnomon, um, you know, the stick that really casts the shadow from the beginning of the year, from the from the winter solstice. And so even within the Su Wen, um, it really establishes time and therefore the Yellow Emperor's uh, importance in that um, as being crucial to understanding acupuncture it's a really fundamental concept and although we understand five elements belong to the seasons and of course you've got the clock in Chinese medicine it's actually more fundamental than that the role of time mm -hmm. uh, you know this whole balance between uh, yin and yang and the, the whole integration of yin and yang the five elements you can see that very thoroughly within the six divisions but even the elements in the organs themselves have a yin and a yang counterpart within the elements um, that are that are there it's it's uh, much more nuanced than I think most people think of with the five elements even so um I have a question and, um, you know, I must confess I don't know a whole lot about the stems and branches so I might be asking a, a really off-track question. But when you are talking about that, I feel like I'm starting to experience a new context for things that's really exciting. And I'm remembering that um, when I, at least when I was studying Chinese medicine at university, it was discussed that, you know, we weren't quite sure when needling points on the body arose, when they're looking back, you know, into the 
the, the thousand years prior to the the Yellow Emperor, and I learned that initially there were some rituals where the acupuncture was not done on person's body but done with spears into the space towards the directions so really the the needling was the the ritual of poking of spears to heaven on the heaven level of things not really on the man level of things and then at some point this migrated onto the body where there has some connection with having the the fire points and the metal points and the earth points and whatnot with the directions then existing on the body and um, the needling being done on the body. And when you were talking about the why did they use the Huangdi, the yellow emperor, um, and that really he was the conduit for this transition, is that correct or um, am I on the track? Well, I, I also heard a long time ago that um, initially, you know, some high acupuncture arose with, you know, spears piercing the body. I have actually grown to believe, believe that really acupuncture is much more recent than that. That actually, rather than it being very um, empirically driven, you know, I mean, there, there's there's you know, through massage and qigong and all this, that people started to understand a little bit more about meridians. I actually really believe that, that acupuncture as acupuncture really arose not, not much further back than the Han Dynasty, not maybe a few hundred years back. They've only got some talk about um, acupuncture being performed maybe around 400, I think, three or 400 B.C., um, and certainly it seems that um, acupuncture as we know it, acupuncture with a very, very firm theory, really only arose at that time. And my theory about even the concept of using needles and moxa, and I think it did probably start with moxa, certainly all the early charts were moxa charts. Um, uh, but the whole idea, I think, was... It, really based on Huang Lao philosophy. Huang Lao philosophy is really to do with Taoist philosophy based on Lao Tzu and Huang Di, the cosmological aspect. So when you talk about Huang Lao philosophy, which was really prevalent during the Han Dynasty and really started to come together, I guess, around the time of Lu Bu Wei and um, maybe a little bit, he collected and collated a lot of knowledge from... Uh, before that time. So that's just before the Qin Dynasty, the uh, very early Qin Dynasty, which of course didn't last very long. But this cosmological Taoism, which assumed, you know, the whole basic philosophy was that this, everything arose, heaven and earth arose from this essential Yuan Qi to begin with, this, you know, original Qi, and that heaven and earth floated in this Yuan Chi and there were various kind of ideas about how, you know, what earth looked like, what the heavens looked like, you know, so there was an idea that the heavens were like a, you know, where it was all like a large egg and, and the earth floated in the middle of this a bit like a yolk or the prevalent one came to be that it was, um, you know, that there was a large dome 
of the heavens, uh, which turned and which moved on pillars either at the four corners or um, at the central pillar around the north celestial pole. Um, and the, the earth itself was like a square, uh, like inverted bowl, you know, so that there was a kind of um, ridge bit where the earth rose up out of this gully of the four seas around it. And that all of this heaven and earth floated in Yuan Chi. And that before even that came um, uh, came into being, Chi just, this Yuan Chi, which was very ethereal for a long, long time. It was like when you read uh, Huan Anzi or when you read, I think it's in Libri Way, but certainly in Huan Anzi, it's like, um, you know, there was not even the hint of yin and yang. There was let alone the hint of the five elements. But there was just something in the nature of this chi that then coalesced and everything that kind of was of the metal element or was of a yang nature, was of a, a, a earth or, you know, it all kind of separated and started to coalesce according to its own nature. And that through this very early Yuan Chi, there was a resonance. So everything resonated even after it formed, um, you know, so that trees were formed and then wood and muscles and, you know, you've got that whole kind of holographic structure, but that there was, um, that, that whatever happened in different parts of this vast universe still affected others of like chi. Everything was a kind of like these resonance patterns that just permeated through um, all of life, the visible and the non-visible. And when you, when you start applying that, when you when you have that as your basic philosophy, and what the um, so there were several different astronomical astrological schools prior to the Han Dynasty. In fact, really the Qin Han Dynasty brought all these different uh, astronomical, astrological schools together because before China was united, every emperor really from that idea that the emperor had to represent, you know, heaven on earth and there had to be a resonance between that. Ever since that idea, every emperor had his own astronomer and they all had slightly different views. During the Qin Han Dynasty, they pulled all of that information together so that there were just several dominant theories um, around. And then, the you know, this was applied. When you look at government, when you look at medical texts, when you even look at mathematical problems, whatever the problem was, always, always the um, the top guy, you know, the people that are reading it, and for us as acupunctures when we read the Neijing, you know, we're taught, we're told um, that we have to have an understanding of astronomy, we have to have an understanding of uh, geography, which is Earth, and we have to understand, have an understanding of human affairs, which is mankind. This was this basic idea of heaven, earth, man, and we had to know how that all interconnected. We had to really understand that. And that went right across the board. If you were the general in the army, if you were in government, whatever position you had, if it was of any importance, you had to have that understanding. And this philosophy, this theory, was applied in minute details. And when you see, read the um, Wang Di Neijing, um, 
it's like that philosophy was applied to the nth degree. Um, and they, even the idea, when you, when you really think about why they chose, you know, Marx at the beginning and then metal, who would think of using metal to poke in a person? You know, I, I find it <laughs> evil that you would think of poking spears in a person to cure them. But mm. needles, when, you know, it's like, it, it was really when you think of this fire and metal, um, this is what you see in the heavens. You see the fire and the sun, this incredible source of heat. You see the sparkles, this unbelievable sparkling heaven, this gold and silver up in the heavens, this, the golden sun, the silver moon. You've got this fire of the sun. You've got gold needles which, which resonate. The re my belief, what I have come to believe, is that these are primary resonance tools, gold and silver primary resonance tools for the source of yin and yang on earth, which is the sun and the moon, the silver sun, the golden, sorry, the silver moon and the golden sun. These are primary resonance tools to balance yin and yang in the body. Wow. And when you've <laughs> when you've got moxa, you've also got the fire of the he of the heavens. So these are the tools. And when you look at heaven, why use heaven to um, create um, health on earth? It's because heaven is eternal. If you want to create a really good system where people, you know, live as long as they can be, where things are natural, in harmony with the heavens, then you base it on heaven, you, you know. And so this is why you use these primary resonance tools. And, of course, then herbs, which are more earth-based. You see trees on the earth. You don't see trees in the heavens. <laughs> you know, you see uh, water flowing on earth. Yes, you get water flowing down from heaven but it's considered that that even back then it was considered that the water was that the earth kind of sat in water that that there were these four seas around the earth that water also came up from below the earth so earth is really this is where you get this idea of damp everything in chinese medicine the ideas the basic concepts are all from this idea of heaven and earth uh, um, and of course, when you've got heaven and earth as the first interaction of, yeah, the first expression of yin and yang, when yang separated and floated up and became heaven, earth condensed and, uh, sorry, yin condensed and, and formed earth. And their first interaction, which is, you know, from our point of view, sitting on a very still flat earth as we all know that's our, that's our experience the earth does not move so you see this constant moving heavens around the earth that's where you get this idea of yang being above, yang being ethereal, yang being in constant movement and earth being very still, it's got this quality of dampness to it but also once you've got that interaction between heaven and earth the very first expression of it is time Time is the very first uh, expression. You see the sun and the moon moving around the earth, bringing with it yang to yin to yang in this eternal dance between yin and yang. 
um, this is the movement, this is the expression of the interconnection between heaven and earth. So when you talk about needles, and that was a really actually brilliant question, when you talk about needles, to me they're primary resonance tools. Yes, we can think about chi being, you know, flowing rivers in the body because now you've got the body as this earth form, you know, with mountains, with with muscles, with, you know, uh, um bumps and lumps and whatever but but really it's also an expression man stands between heaven and earth so you've got the square feet which represents the earth and you've got the heavenly part the the head which which you know reaches up to heaven and then you've got um where man meets in the middle which is really between the belly button and um around ren 10 stomach 20 um 20 hold on stomach 23 which is where that yin and yang divide before yin and yang divides that's where that relates to um so all these concepts are really heaven earth man and that first interaction of time and because man is born between this interaction of heaven and earth it's the next thing that's born first of all you've got this great unity then you've got heaven and earth then you've got man and all the myriad things we are time sensitive because we're born from that interaction so everything in us is time sensitive and then you've got the whole interplay with the six divisions which are all time based I mean six divisions are six divisions of time and you've got the whole interplay of of course the 12 meridians which are of course based on you know the qualities based on the months qualities based on um, the 24 the 12 uh, time divisions in a day um, uh, I mean it's just it's it's all time based and even down to the number of points the ideal number of points in the Neijing is 360 it actually settled at 361 which is a very very interesting interplay um, between this um, balancing light um, between the sun and the moon because there's an imbalance with sun and the moon that um, the timing of uh, the lunar months and the new year don't coincide for that takes 19 years so 1919 is uh, 361 and 361 is also um this balance of the jupiter cycle it's shortened down to 360 days for jupiter to cross one branch width but actually it's um it's closer to 361 so they tried again and again and again to make time it was a, a very important consideration when you look at the divisions the six divisions it's very it's based exactly on a solar year that's 365 and a quarter days because one division doesn't last for just 60 days it lasts for Three or uh, um, sixty plus uh, sixty point eight seven five cur. That's sixty and point uh, uh, eight seven five of a day. And when you multiply by six, that's um, that includes an allowance for a leap year, three hundred and sixty-five and a quarter days. So it was crucially important. So although yes, the cosmology stuff is in the Ling Shu, it's also I mean this stuff I've been talking about is all through the Su Wen as well. There's so many there's so many um 
links there that um, that come up for Fee and I. We're both um, we're quite... sitting here pulling faces, <laughs> trying to be quiet. <laughs> we we both have a very um, I guess you know we're both very interested in astrology in um, regular Western astrology and um, and also um, an interest in numerology and so we're like little. <laughs> little kids squealing for joy going oh my goodness she's talking about Jupiter and yeah like we that that to us is more a language that we're familiar with what's have you looked at any of the um similarities and differences between the Chinese cosmology and western astrology and where there might be some overlaps yeah, there's there's actually not very much overlap, I don't think, between Western astrology and Chinese astrology. And this is one thing I want to really explain or stress about um, even stems and branches acupuncture, because I think people, it became a numerological system more in the Song Dynasty, um, when, of course, there was a big, there, there was a further interest in astronomy in the Song Dynasty. You know, they had this recurring problem of really establishing um, um, when there were going to be uh, um, eclipses, um, you know, th 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 there was the very famous meeting. You know, when um, was it? Uh, or what do you call that Jesuit priest, uh, Ricci, Matteo Ricci, and um, the 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 Chinese um, astronomers had predicted an eclipse at a particular time. But Matteo Ricci, the, the um, Jesuit priest who came over and immersed himself in Chinese culture, he also had all the latest uh, information from Western science, and he was able to more accurately predict um, uh, the, the eclipse, which the, the Chinese had roughly, I mean, they knew that it took 19 years for the sun and moon to meet up again at the exact same point every 19 years. You know, so that if there was an eclipse on the um, winter solstice on a particular year, it was going to be another 19 years before that eclipse would happen again on the winter solstice. But for a more accurate prediction, they were still out of sync. So there, were, there was always a review. You know, they took on board, you know, whatever different astronomical theories that, that arose. So, of course, during the Han Dynasty, uh, there was a lot of very, very detailed observation. Um, as I said earlier, it was actually around 1200 BC when they still didn't have a very clear idea of when exactly the winter solstice was. They they had a rough time. Um, that they, they had words for dawn and dusk and um, summer solstice and winter solstice, but it wasn't quite accurate. The day wasn't divided exactly into... 12 hours or 24 hour periods um, it, it was quite loose and there were various um, different dates that um, for the start of the year it could be the winter solstice, it could be um, spring, it could be you know various different uh, uh, months um, some, was it ever I'm not sure if it was ever the sum, summer solstice but they started it at, at different years and um so there were also observations um, of the sky, and they did. It was not so much an astrology that West think the the West think of it. Where there are certain influences that come down from the heavens and affect people on Earth. It was much more this, still this idea 
of a holographic structure where if something happens in one part of the system, you see it reflected in another part. So, um, and most importantly, rulers on Earth, if they were in line with the Darwin, if they were really, really working in harmony, then everything in, in the heavens would seem to work like clockwork. I mean, this whole idea of things having a regular motion, even though the Chinese actually also allowed for, they were very pragmatic, they also allowed for things don't exactly work like clockwork, even when you when you read the... Um, the Su Wen, you know, or the Ling Shu, and um, they talk about, well, actually, although this is normally the case, there are also instances where just things just happen randomly, you know, pestilence happens, or things that can't exactly be, be predicted. Um, so these things happen. But the idea of um, um, the heavens, so you had you had areas in the heavens which reflected areas on or, or um, particular, you know, say like the um, uh, the emperor and his um, his circle of people. So this was reflected in the central palace. The central palace in the heavens um, was the palace. This is where the heavens all turned around one central point, which of course in the Northern Hemisphere was the North Celestial Pole, which is not quite the same as the Pole Star, of course it's slightly off the Pole Star. But this central turning, so there was one very, very still point, which of course is the most important point in the heavens. Everything, yin, primarily yin and yang, turned around this point, so that as it turned, as I say, yang rose up, you know, above... Um, um, to shine light on the earth below. This was like crucially important. And, and the emperor was to model himself on this central point. Even back in Confucius' time, um, Confucius said that the emperor should model himself on the pole star. That means to say to be really, really still and then everything else should turn, spin around him as opposed to him being out in the wider world trying to make things happen he was that still point trying to maintain this harmony and be this kind of resonance tools with with the heaven so it wasn't it, the heavens reflected what happened on earth so there were all sorts of things you know there were different for example when you talk about the yellow emperor because he was related to the sun he didn't have a central his palace wasn't in the central palace his palace or actually his um, uh, where he lived in the in the heavens his home was um, a, um, a, a, an asterism it was 17 stars in Leo and um, called Shuan Yuan again Unshot mentions his personal name being Shuan Yuan he fails to mention that actually Shuan Yuan is a constellation in the heavens it's a very important constellation it was said to be where yin and yang met um, it's where they it not just met, they copulated so that the, everything was produced, all the climates met and were produced in Shuan Yuan. If the meeting was gentle, it produced rain. If it was violent, it produced thunder and lightning. But nonetheless, um, the Yellow Emperor also, because because the emperors, um, they they were free to move around the heavens. So the Yellow Emperor also had, you know, various stopping points around the heavens where he met with his four 
the advisors, the four lords of the other elements. So he was the earth element. And then there were the four day advisors, the lords of the fire element, metal element, uh, wood and water. And they would discuss, um, you know, how the year was going to play out in terms of climate, in terms of the overall elemental quality of the year. So they would, they would have these areas where they would meet. Um, uh, they also had so, so you had these air, these um, areas in the sky, the um, five palaces. You also had these divisions of the twenty-eight lunar mansions. It, it you know, um, and even actually, when you talk about the nine palaces, um, or the, the you know, in the um, King Wen diagram, this is really a reflection of the the divisions that were actually up in the heavens, but um, it's a bit complex to go into right now. So this is all a reflection of the heavens. You also had more earthbound reflections, and you had a kitchen for the um, for the emperor. You had a separate kitchen for all the ordinary people. You even had uh, latrines, toilets <laughs> in the heavens that reflected, you know, some more earth based. Um, Needs so you had all this reflected, but it was more that it was it was a reflection that, and not that there was um, a one way street um, of um, uh, you know there was no kind of recommended um, or, or there was no direction coming from the heavens to the earth. It was more this. Um, uh, you know, this reflection between heaven and earth, much more holographic than that. It's such a rich, amazing context that you're giving us for just how holographic even, you know, acupuncture is right down to the details and the the time, the nature of time and all of the elements and patterns in everything. Um, you know, I just feel like I want to hug you because it's just, you've just really made everything a lot richer for me in that respect. But I'm wondering if we can go in a little bit to how in a clinical setting, giving acupuncture, um, how do you start to apply some of this or using with time and how it relates to the six divisions or the six confirmations? Uh, what does it mean in an acupuncture setting? Well, I mean, in, in very, very simple terms, I mean, you know, first start being in, in a clinic space, actually reading yourself, being really rooted in time um, with that patient. You know that whole thing about being really present? It seems to open some kind of portal. I don't know what it just, I guess it's just the reality. It's actually coming to the really real point of our existence. So that's a very helpful thing to begin with. We then very quickly assess. I mean, you know, we kind of understand where we are in in, in, in terms of time, in terms of, you know, or is Yang rising up after we after the winter solstice and before the summer solstice, so that Yang is in ascendancy? Is there still enough yin there because it's before the spring equinox, or is it after the spring equinox when really yin is very yin has crossed over that equinox and is starting to be really. Um, supplanted by the yang so really yang is an out and out dominance so then we have to start to figure out okay so this person is really 
yin deficient and here they are say it's in the morning and so yang is still rising it's not the evening when yin at least you would have some of the yin even in the afternoon from after midday you've got some yin starting to come up so you've got to start to think of so what energy is around what what is the branch that's available because even in the middle of summer you know you've got you've got yin branches for instance and right now we've got the spleen branch so of course you can really strengthen the yin through the spleen you can you know strengthen earth you can use spleen six you can use various other points on that you can also use you know this whole because with stems and branches it really um demonstrates for example the branches really demonstrate the Shang cycle, when you've got this idea that yin starts or yang starts at the point of absolute yin, you look at that at the winter solstice when you've got um, the gallbladder branch and the maximum yang, it says that the summer solstice is really rooted in the winter solstice. So you've got heart balanced, at, you know, um, rooted into the gallbladder. This is the Shang cycle. You've got that through all the branches, you know, um, the liver and small intestine. The the um, the elements relate um, with stems and branches on a yin yin yang. When you're looking at heaven and earth, it's a yin yang, um, sheng or curse cycle. For example, the stem cycle is um, it's it's um, where you've got the yang radiance. They demonstrate the curse cycle where you've got the gallbladder interacting with spleen within earth. You've got colon interacting with liver within metal. It gets, you know, I'm not going into all of that. But that's a more complex thing. But even on a very basic way, when you're looking at something, so you've got the branches where you can use the opposite branches to tonify or to strengthen the one on the other side because it's rooted in that branch. Do you see what I mean? It, with, with yeah. The shank. Yeah, I understand. I, um, I have a, a question also relating to earlier when you were talking about just the beautiful creation of, of the needle forged from fire with metal relating back to the sun and the twinkling stars. I'm, I'm curious about what kind of needles you use. So I do use a mix of just you know regular regular stainless steel needles and then sometimes I use some gold plated needles although when gold became mm. very very expensive it was much harder to get um, gold plated needles I never used solid gold um, and I used to you know have used um, disposable gold or silver needles when because I'm I, I actually find it quite difficult to use moxa this smoke I'm a little allergic to it so I sometimes to use to strengthen the yang I sometimes really want to use gold plated needles I don't do it on a regular basis but I do use gold and silver in that way um, to to harmonize and resonate with um, yin and yang. Uh, yeah I thought you might and I just really wanted to ask <laughs> I think that's awesome okay and then also with the uh, with the um, uh, you asking about on a practical way I mean even very very straightforward with uh, the six divisions I mean I think uh, you know there was some confusion I remember when we were studying six divisions you know this whole idea of blood and she in the six divisions but actually you know, like the um, 
Shui-in and Tai-in and uh, Yang-ming being full of blood. Well, Yang-ming also has some of the qi also in it. And then you've got, you know, Tai-in and Shao-in and um, uh, Yang-ming being full of qi. And it was like, well, how do, how do they even come up with those ideas? And actually, all of these questions, when you look at it in relation to time, it's so straightforward. You don't even have to think of it. You don't have to remember so much when you understand the time component because it's like it's it's obvious you could predict which one was going to have more blood which one was going to have more chi because when you look at it because there's six divisions there the when you're talking about the host cycle there's also this heaven and earth guest relationship which we don't have time to go into but certainly from the host cycle of the six divisions um you've got um from the spring equinox, you've got uh, Shaoyin, then you've got um, uh, Shaoyin, Shaoyang, Taiyin, and then you've got the, the autumn equinox, um, and then you've got, of course, the Yang Ming, uh, Tai Yang, and then Shui Yin. So everything above the equinox, that is when Yang is really dominant, is because we don't have Yang and Yin. People forget we don't have Yin and Yang flowing in our bodies. What we've got is blood and Qi and some fluid. So the Yang portion of that, when you've got the sun above the equinox, you know, between the spring and vernal and uh, autumn equinox, then you've got an abundance of chi. When you've got the sun below the equinox, between autumn and uh, the vernal equinox, then you've got an abundance of um, uh, yin. You know, that's the yin time of the year. That's going to be blood. So then all of the host meridians, uh, sorry, host divisions, they reflect that relationship they have specifically with time. And it was just, I mean, there's like a, you know, it goes endlessly into this in the Suwen about when these divisions start. It's very, very, very precise to link it exactly with the solar year. So then you can understand that exactly which one has more chi, which one has more blood. When you look at Tai Yang, it's like this is the one we use much, much more for bloodletting. It's got a ton of blood in it. You know, um, I mean, bar the Jing Well points, that's really, I can't think much, you know, where, where else you'd really do any bloodletting. You've also got Shui and you know, which just you help regulate the blood through the heart governor, which is the mother of all blood, and you've got the, the liver, which contains the blood. So Shui and is all about blood and the same with the chi of course yang ming being at the harvest time just gathers some of that chi from that yang period and brings it in but it's really belongs to the yin aspect of that and um uh, and then also actually even on with the divisions when you've got this whole idea of i mentioned briefly the guest and host relationship which is to do with this turning movement of the of the heavens. So when you've got the guest heaven energy, which really, um, although it, it dominates the first half of the year, it's really its main area of dominance is over the summer solstice. When you've got the guest earth energy, its main area of dominance is over the winter solstice. So they're kind of diagonally opposite each other. You look at that on, on the body, if you even think of it, if you just look at your hand and arm, you'll see, you know, Yang Ming diagonally opposite you know, um, uh, uh, Yin, which is the guest, um, guest heaven, guest earth relationship. You've got, um, 
I'm uh, sorry, Tai Yang, Tai Yin. You've got um, um, Tai uh, Yang Ming Shaiyan, and you've got Shui Yin and and uh, Sha Yang. These are the heaven earth. Uh, relationships and they're diagonally opposite if you turn your arm around slowly you'll see just the relationship of that it's almost you know mirrors the way that the earth uh the earth turns around and you've got this then dominance of the the summer solstice and uh, you know when one's dominant the the others in the opposite diagonally opposite corner if you see what i mean and you've got this relationship with time going all through so you use these in terms of thinking of you think of the persons you know the Tao of the person uh, and the Tao of the person this interaction between heaven and earth which is uh, really manifest in time time and space time, space being the directions and um, uh, and then the Tao of now which is really to do with with time again yeah it's so uh, amazing and yet I, I feel I'm just starting to understand the simplicity of it now that really it was just from observing and, and we, as a microcosm. Yes, The human absolutely. body. Do you also book your patients in? You try and get them to come at a specific time of day if you're treating particular issues? Um, I, I don't and I never treat in the, in the you know, past a certain time in the evening I stop early evening I just need to do that for myself also I just feel that you know you know I don't think it's necessary I think we just work with with where where we're at in time and it's actually um it makes it makes things simple you know what it is you need to do for the patient and you just think well what available energies are here um well, it makes so much more sense. Um, I think one of the lines that um, I remember from, well, one of the sections I remember from your book was about talking about how to, or one approach to regulating a woman's menstrual cycle and that rather than, you know, supporting yin during the follicular phase and supporting yang during the luteal phase, that you can instead look at the energy or look at where the moon cycle is and that you're supporting yin and yang based on what is happening with the moon and what phase the, the moon is in because you're wanting to harmonise the woman with the moon energy and use the energy of the moon rather than trying to kind of use the energy of like within the woman to kind of try and regulate itself. Absolutely, absolutely, and it works, it works very, very nicely. You know, I've had uh, other practitioners that have put that into practice and it it really does seem to um, bring about um, balance. One can really see it. Um, it's a very nice way. And even, you know, when women are no longer having their menstrual cycle, even if they're going through menopause, to just maintain that, that ebb and flow with the moon. And when I wrote my book... Um, it wasn't very clear how exactly, there was a lot of scepticism around um, about how exactly the moon could have any influence on the human body. I think I even wrote it in my book, you know, that this whole idea that um, that it affects, that the moon has um, some kind of gravitational effect on the fluids in our body. Um, 
it, it, it was described in one scientific article, it had the same gravitational pull as holding a pea at arm's length above the head, which <laughs> in a it's not a very strong, not a very strong influence. And then, oddly enough, I went to this wonderful seminar at uh, the Royal Society of Medicine in London, and there was a molecular biologist who happened to be one of the world's, in fact, if not the world's expert on ciliopathies, which are um, they're disorders of the cilia, and they're genetic disorders, and they can have quite catastrophic. Um, impact on human body it's i think it's quite a new a relatively new area of of um um of, of study at uh, the cilia you know these little hairs around practically every cell in the body we only think of mm -hmm. them mostly around the lungs or various places but actually they're they influence every they're around every cell in the body practically and um and it turns out that this whole um what was the lecture called I can't remember something like cilia longevity in the moon, and I thought that's a lecture I want to go to. Go to. <laughs> you know, especially from a Western scientific point of view, Western medical point of view. So these cilia, it turns out, they, they're quite fascinating. You know, um, in very early embryonic development, depending on whether these cilia turn clockwise or anti-clockwise. They actually line the body, the organs up to the left and right of the body. In other words, you know, the fact that the liver is actually on the right and the, the spleen more on the left or the, where the kidneys are and where the lungs are in relation and all of this. This is to do with this little, little fine cilia movements that somehow separate out these parts of the body. And then they're... they're um, chemically sensitive, they're mechanosensitive, but also it turns out they're gravitationally sensitive and they turn off and on certain proteins with the, um, the full and the new moon. And I was astonished to find that out. That's just um, amazing. I, I've got another one for you about the moon and our body. Um, and that is I was reading about how when and and we we get disconnected from the moon in modern culture because of artificial lighting at night so we're not seeing the moonlight but that the moonlight comes directly in through the retina and instructs our pituitary gland um which is why yeah. all of our hormones can sync up with the cycle so when i'm yeah. working with women and their menstrual cycle i usually suggest that they go outside at least once a week of an evening and find the moon and just look at it for five minutes and try and do it in an area where they're not surrounded by street lights or you know indoor lighting they actually have to go out into the back garden into the dark and look at the moon and it really helps with the the menstrual cycle that is a wonderful piece of advice lucky patience wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I haven't yet tried the moon method though so I'm I'm going to give that a go I'm really inspired about that the, the one thing about the moon method you know um, <clears throat> because the whole thing with the needling technique with that it actually to, to, because we're very used in practice you know we're busy and we're rushed and maybe we've gone over time and uh and actually working with the patient's breath, 
can actually really slow things down with putting the needle in. But when you're doing the moon method, strengthening according to the you know um, uh, uh, the moon, um, you really do need to put in the the working with the breath and going really slowly and waiting to turn the point. You know, with um, in between the in breath and out breath, you know, so that you've just really got it in time. Because it's very easy to mentally think that we're doing that, but actually to really, really do it, we just need to really slow down. Mm, I will pay attention and be as still as the pole star. Yeah. <laughs> Rishin, it's been such a pleasure to have you with us on the show today, and we have run out of time. We could go on about this forever because it's a topic that we're very fascinated in and you're obviously so knowledgeable. Thank you for being so generous with sharing your knowledge with us today. And thank you to our listeners for listening and we'd like to hear your comments and feedback on our Facebook page and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you so much, Rasheen. Well, it's been a real pleasure. It's been lovely to talk to you both. And uh, yes, and it's a wonderful uh, endeavor with these podcasts. So that's that's a terrific resource. Oh, so thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. Bye for now. Bye for now.